Hey everybody, welcome back to Sports Island, your getaway destination for sports news. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. We definitely had another very busy week in sports. Uh, The NHL finished their qualifying round of the playoffs. PGA Tour held their first major championship of the year. And of course, we have some more drama from the MLB. Now, I will preface this week's podcast by saying that I took my family on a mini vacation to, we'll call it Mystery Mountain, this past weekend. So I tried to keep up with as much sports as I could. And it is definitely much harder to keep up with everything going on when you're on vacation. Um, But uh, let's take a look at everything that went down from this past week. And we will start off like we normally do in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's tournament was the first major championship of the year, the PGA Championship, and it was held at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, California. And man, what a beautiful course it was. I mentioned last week that the weather was going to play a factor, and it certainly did. And it wasn't just the wind either. Uh, It was the chilly temperatures that we saw Uh, Early in the tournament, the temperatures got down into the 50s for some parts of the tournament, and it affected everyone uh, that played. Uh, It made it challenging. Even the best players in the world uh, struggled to, uh, you know, deal with the weather. But we had a different leaderboard in every round of the tournament. And at the end of the day, some of the best golfers in the world ended up near the top which isn't surprising considering it was a major tournament. But this tournament was really wide open until about the 16th hole on Sunday. And on that 16th hole, Colin Morikawa just blistered a drive. It ended up seven feet from the cup. And of course, Morikawa made his eagle putt, which gave him the lead that at that point was really unsurmountable. And the tournament favorite, which was two-time defending champion Brooks Kepka, just completely fell apart on Sunday, going four over. But Morikawa used that eagle putt on 16 to capture his third victory on tour in just 27 career pro starts. Uh, the, the kid is just unbelievable. He has more wins on tour than missed cuts. And he tied Rory McIlroy... Tiger Woods, and the great Jack Nicholas as the only players to capture the PGA Championship as their first major at the age of 23. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, Morikawa's final two rounds over the weekend were a combined score of 129. That is the lowest weekend score by a major winner in the history of the PGA Tour. Morikawa won with a score of 13 under par, which was a two-shot victory over Paul Casey and Dustin Johnson. But let's revisit Rick's Picks to Click from this past weekend. Uh, Last week, I gave you Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, and Gary Woodland as my Picks to Click. Now, all three of them made the cut, so that's a positive. And I've been using the formula of finishing in the top 25 to count as a click. So... If we're going to stay with that, I didn't technically click on any of my picks. 
Brooks Kepka finished at three under par after his terrible round on Sunday, and that was good for 29th. Justin Thomas was right on the cut line on Friday at plus one, but he turned it around and ended up finishing at one under par, which was good for 37th. And then Gary Woodland finished his tournament at two over, which was good for 58th. And now Woodland's second and third rounds were over par, which pretty much did him in. And so while I may not have clicked technically on any of them, it wasn't as bad as it seemed, especially compared to some of the other weeks I've had with multiple missed cuts. But either way, I need to redeem myself this week. So this week, the PGA Tour heads to the Sedgefield Country Club in Charlotte, North Carolina for the Wyndham Championship. Now, Sedgefield Country Club is going to play at a par 70, and the Wyndham Championship is the final tournament before the FedEx Cup playoffs begin. And without stating the obvious, uh, this year has been very strange. One of the majors, the Open Championship, which is held in Europe, got canceled. So that means there's only three major championships this season. And two of those three major championships are going to fall after the FedEx Cup playoffs take place. That is just really odd, but uh, dealing with what we've been through already so far in 2020, that just, uh, it is what it is. But let's dive into Rick's Picks to Click for this weekend's Wyndham Championship. And I'll start off with Webb Simpson. Uh, Simpson is ranked number six in the world, and he had a disappointing 37th place finish this past weekend at the PGA Championship. But since 2010, Webb Simpson is 10 for 10 here at the Wyndham Championship in cuts made, including a win in 2011. He also has two second place finishes and a third place finish among eight top 11s at this tournament. So he's pretty familiar with this tournament, this course. And Webb Simpson's scoring average over the last, his last 12 rounds is 65.25. And with the Wyndham playing at a par 70 this weekend, if he can maintain that scoring average this weekend, he's going to be at or near the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. But my second pick to click this weekend is going to be Justin Rose. Uh, Rose has dropped to number 17 in the world, but his putter was on point this past weekend at the PGA. And Justin Rose finished ninth this past weekend, but it was his third top 15 finish since the PGA Tour resumed play. And Justin Rose, his only previous appearance at Sedgefield was back in 2009, where he finished fifth. So I'll say that he'll finish near the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. But my final pick to click this weekend is going to be Patrick Reed. Reed is ranked number nine in the world, and his breakthrough PGA Tour victory came here at Sedgefield in 2013. And Patrick Reed has also scattered four top 25s in, his eight starts since the PGA Tour resumed play a couple months ago. So I'd look for Reed to at least finish in the top 25 this week. But we'll move on to the NCAA and college football. 
And the week started off a little rough when Colorado State University came out and said that multiple football players were claiming that they were told to ignore all COVID protocols for the upcoming season. And after that, they had a group of players come out and dispute those allegations, saying that they were false and that those claims were never made. But the NCAA launched an investigation into those allegations. Now, Colorado State, at the time, had already had eight players test positive for the coronavirus and another 19 players miss team activities due to uh, whether experiencing symptoms or coming into contact with a possible exposure. So the team ended up pausing all team activities. Now, the NCAA is still investigating those allegations, but man, what a mess. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see what the NCAA comes up with as a result of that investigation. But shortly after that, the University of Connecticut came out and said that they will not be partaking in the 2020 football season. And that made UConn the first FBS school to cancel its entire football season due to the pandemic. And while UConn is much more known for basketball, I can actually see more higher profile schools following suit in this, which is not good for the state of college football. And I mentioned in last week's episode that a group of players from the Pac-12 conference were threatening to hold out until uh, the Pac-12 met their demands for protocols and whatnot. And I also mentioned how dangerous this could potentially be if it spread to the other Power Five conferences. Well, this past week, Uh, The Big Ten came out and announced that a group of Big Ten football players formed what they called a, quote, unity group, similar to that of the Pac-12. And the goal of the Big Ten's unity group is that the group wants additional health and safety protocols for this upcoming season, which, again, coincides with the group from the Pac-12. And this is really not good for the NCAA. And at this point, I would look for these groups to spread to the remaining Power Five conferences. And if all that wasn't bad enough, the Mid-American Conference, or MAC, came out and announced that their entire conference is canceling the 2020 football season altogether. And the MAC is the first FBS conference to just flat out cancel their season. Now... The MAC isn't a Power 5 school, or conference rather, but it is still some substantial news. And not to be outdone with that, the Mountain West Conference, they came out and announced that they're going to be postponing their entire fall sports schedule for this season. Now, they noted that the postponement isn't a full cancellation, uh, as the Mountain West is considering moving football to the spring sports docket, but my god... College football, as we know it, is spiraling out of control at this point. And given these last few weeks, with major pro sports starting back up, I was really certain that the NCAA would make their fall sports, uh, especially football, happen. But that seems to be in serious jeopardy right now. And it's to the point now where we 
don't really know if college football is even going to happen. And that would just be a devastating blow to sports and, frankly, to the morale of this country. I've said it before on previous podcasts, and I'll say it again, that this country needs football. Uh, And thankfully, the NFL is on track to start their season on time. But college football is really just as important. And in this past week, we've seen a number of high-profile college football players announce that they're opting out of the 2020 season so that they can just focus on the NFL draft. And I get that. But it's almost seemed like these players may not have a choice. If everybody cancels their football season, then everybody's going to be opting out. Uh, but like I said, I mean, college football, as we know it right now, is, is in serious trouble. And the NCAA better figure it out quick. Uh, because their season's scheduled to start in just over a month. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and some happy news. But uh, the NHL announced that they have ran 7,703 COVID tests thus far inside of their dual bubble, and they have yet to still produce a positive test. Now, the NHL concluded their qualifying round playoff matchups this past weekend, so the final 16 teams are set. And a couple weeks ago, I gave you my qualifying round predictions. And being the huge hockey fan that I am, I am embarrassed to say that those predictions were a complete flop. Out of the eight qualifying round series, I only got one prediction right. So I was one in seven. Yikes. The only series that I correctly predicted a winner was the Carolina Hurricanes beating the New York Rangers. And that's just embarrassing. But what those qualifying round matchups did tell us is that the four-month layoff made the playing field as level as it could be. Uh, The lower seed in those matchups won half of those eight series, including the two lowest seeds in the playoffs. The lowest seed in the West, Chicago Blackhawks, and the lowest seed in the East, Montreal Canadiens, both won their series in four games. And then you had both of the bubble hometown teams, Toronto and Edmonton, lose their series, proving that home ice does not exist in the bubble. But the quarterfinal round matchups are now set. Uh, So let's take a look at those series, and I'll give you my predictions on those. Um, And keep in mind that Moving forward here, starting with the qualifying round matchups, all the series are best of seven. And in the Western Conference, the number one seed Vegas Golden Knights will face the number eight seed Chicago Blackhawks. And both teams look really good in their qualifying round games. Uh, As I mentioned, Chicago, they proved that they are just built for the playoffs year after year. And they dispatched the Edmonton Oilers in four games. My gut is telling me to pick Chicago. And I would not be surprised if they won at all. But I'm going to go with Vegas in seven games. And I just think that Vegas' speed and skill 
is going to be the edge in the series, but I do think the series is going to be a barn burner, and I can see that one going seven for sure. Next, the number two seed Colorado Avalanche are going to play the number seven seed Arizona Coyotes. And I was on record saying in my original predictions that Arizona would not make any noise at all in the playoffs. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, because they sent the Nashville Predators home packing in four games. But I I think that the Coyotes' Cinderella story runs out here. Uh, Colorado is just way too fast, way too skilled, and even more so than Nashville was. And so I'm just I'm gonna take Colorado in six games. Um but uh, Arizona's already proved me wrong once. Now, the next series is the number three seed Dallas Stars playing the number six seed Calgary Flames. And Calgary totally shocked me by beating the Winnipeg Jets in four games. Uh, I picked the Jets, and Calgary just, again, proved me wrong on that. Calgary's just super physical and they pride themselves on the finesse game. Now, Dallas is my hometown team, and they're my favorite team. But based on what I saw from them in, the, in their three round-robin games, I just cannot predict the Stars moving on. <clears throat> I mean, it, it pains me to say it, but I'm going to take Calgary in five games. I really hope I'm wrong. But the Stars just looked completely lifeless in all three of their games. They did pull out a shootout win uh, over St. Louis, but, man, they their offense was totally anemic. Uh, but the, the last series in the Western Conference is the number four seed St. Louis Blues against the number five seed Vancouver Canucks. And Vancouver made short order of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, beating them in four games. And shockingly, St. Louis Blues, who are last year's Stanley Cup champions, they went winless in their three-round robin games. And I'm going to say that the script's going to flip for this round. Uh, St. Louis is just way too good to not show up. They are due for wins, having not won any of their first three games. And I think Vancouver's going to get the brunt of the Blues' aggression on that. So give me St. Louis in five games. Uh, But in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed Philadelphia Flyers are going to face the number eight seed Montreal Canadiens. And Montreal completely shocked everybody by dominating the Pittsburgh Penguins in four games in this last round. But the Philadelphia Flyers went 3-0 in round-robin play, and they picked up right where they left off when the season paused. And not only do I like the Flyers to win this series, I think they have a legitimate chance to represent the East in the Stanley Cup Finals, just based on the way they've played uh, here in these first three games. So give me the Flyers in six. But next up, the number two seed Tampa Bay Lightning face the number seven seed Columbus Blue Jackets. And this series is a rematch of last year's first round in which Columbus shocked everybody by sweeping Tampa Bay four games. 
Now, Columbus did just get done eliminating the hometown Toronto Maple Leafs in a hard-fought five-game series. And as much as I want to go with Columbus, I just think they used all their good juju against Toronto. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay, and I, I can see this series again going seven games because Columbus is just feisty. But I am going to pick Tampa Bay just based on uh, the star power that they have. But next up, the number three seed Washington Capitals square off against the number six seed New York Islanders. Boy, the Islanders sure looked good in their first round, uh, sending the Florida Panthers home in four games. And on the flip side of that, Washington was just not impressive at all in their round-robin games. And because of that, I'm just going to ride the hot hand. I'm going to say Islanders take it in six games. But the final Eastern Conference series is the number four seed Boston Bruins facing the number five seed Carolina Hurricanes. And like Chicago in the West, Boston is just another team that seems to be built for the playoffs. Um, But Carolina completed the only sweep we saw in the qualifying round, sending the New York Rangers home in three games. And even though Boston was one of the top-ranked teams going in, they just did not look good in that opening round robin. So give me Carolina to continue its playoff success, and I'll say this one goes seven games, but I'll take the Hurricanes. But we'll move on to our segment around the island. Uh, Several noteworthy quick hit topics from around sports. Uh, We'll start off from the National Basketball Association. This past week, the NBA announced that since the bubble started on July 29th, they have not had a single positive COVID test. Now, they didn't announce an actual number of tests ran, but there were... Well, there are 343 players in the bubble. So if each one you figure has been tested multiple times, you're looking at several thousand tests. And that's another very positive and encouraging sign moving forward in terms of them completing their season. Now, some big news out of the NBA deals with Philadelphia 76ers star Ben Simmons. The 76ers announced this past week that Ben Simmons suffered a left knee injury, which is going to require surgery and end his season. And that's just a devastating blow to the 76ers, who were one of the teams already locked into the playoffs before the season restarted. And a lot of people had high expectations for Philadelphia to make some noise, but without Simmons, I just can't see that happening. That's a tough break for Philly, and it's really the first major incident to come out of the NBA bubble thus far. And speaking of the bubble, the NBA has been putting on a show in the bubble. And I've talked about the success off the court with all the activities for the players and everything that they've arranged. But the success has translated to on the court as well. And out of the 22 teams that have traveled to the NBA bubble... 17 of them have exceeded their scoring averages since the restart. Baskets are just dropping from everywhere. And I don't know if it was the extended rest that they all got or what. 
But the basketball has sure been exciting since the restart has gotten underway. And regarding that excitement, we have had some eliminations from playoff contention, such as the New Orleans Pelicans. But the Memphis Grizzlies are clinging to that eighth seed in the West. They came into the bubble with a three and a half game lead for that eighth spot. But they started off 0-3 in the bubble, and that lead has evaporated. So much so that the Western Conference is actually going to have a play-in game in order to determine the eighth seed. And the most recent Memphis Grizzlies loss to the Toronto Raptors over the weekend meant that the Grizzlies are not going to be able to mathematically clinch the eighth seed. So because of that, they're having a play-in game between the eighth seed and the ninth seed to determine who gets that eighth seed. And that's just wild. There are a couple teams fighting to compete with Memphis for that eighth spot, including the San Antonio Spurs and the Portland Trailblazers. But keep an eye on that as the NBA wraps up its regular season this week. But we'll move on to the National Football League. And there are a few noteworthy topics from this past week. First, Lambeau Field, which of course is home to the Green Bay Packers, announced that they will not host any fans during the first two home games this upcoming season. The Packers are going to reevaluate after the first two games to determine whether fans can attend later games. And this is just strange. Like, the quarantine period, if you get a positive test, is roughly 10 days. So that's pretty much two weeks in football. And if there's a bad COVID outbreak in the first week or two, it's going to be at least a couple weeks before you can have fans attend games anyways. So I don't know why you'd keep the fans in limbo like that. Either rule out the fans all season or not. Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Like, what's the difference in fans attending week four or week five versus week two? There's not one. And so I'd be willing to bet that they're just going to cancel the fans in the stands all year long. And speaking of fans, the next NFL topic deals with virtual fans. Now, the NFL announced that this past week that they're considering the use of virtual fans during the games this year. And the NFL apparently used this model in its virtual draft that was held this past April and cited the success of the NBA's virtual fan system in their bubble. Now, the NFL's goal is to, quote, enhance the game day experience with potentially sizable virtual backdrops inside stadiums. And so I guess the NFL is going to be using, or considering using, the virtual fans on screens that we've seen inside that NBA bubble that I mentioned last week. But this goes back to the Lambeau Field thing. Either tell fans they can't come in person or not. You know that as soon as one team adopts this virtual fan idea, that the rest are going to follow. I just do not see actual fans being allowed in stadiums if this virtual fan thing gets any traction. But the craziest news out of the NFL this past week deals with the Washington football team. The Washington football team announced that they have released running back Darius Geis this past week after he was arrested on Friday on suspicion of domestic violence. 
Now, the team released a statement saying that based on Geis' charges and what information they knew about the cases, that the best course of action was to just release him. And that's not good, especially since Washington is already walking on eggshells by having to change their team name amidst all that public pressure that they had. And the Washington football team is just a mess right now, but I do not blame them one bit for releasing guys, especially if they're trying to clear their name of any kind of um, issues that might arise with the public. But moving on from a release of a player to a free agency signing, and the New England Patriots have signed former Houston Texans running back Lamar Miller to a one-year deal pending a physical. And if you recall... Lamar Miller tore his ACL one year ago, uh, but he's said to be fully recovered and healthy, and he's ready to play this season. And you can add that to the list of great bargain signings by the New England Patriots. But the final piece of NFL news deals with the referees. Uh, NFL officials can opt out of the 2020 season just like the players have had the ability to do. And the officials who do opt out are going to be given a $30,000 stipend and a guarantee that their jobs are going to be there in the 2021 season. Now, this goes along with what Major League Baseball did with their umpires before their season started. And we had about 10 MLB umpires uh, opt out of this season. But we're going to circle back to the National Hockey League for just a quick second. The NHL uh, held the second part of their draft lottery this past Monday. And back on one of the first couple episodes of my podcast, I discussed how the NHL draft lottery was going to work this year. And in summation, the teams that lost their qualifying round playoff matchups this past week were entered into a pool to see who got the top overall pick in the upcoming draft. And I vehemently disagreed with the way the NHL was conducting that process. But nonetheless, it still happened as they planned. And on Monday, the New York Rangers won the first pick in the 2020 NHL draft. And given the other teams to be in that selection pool, I'm totally fine with New York winning. Uh, New York entered the playoffs as the 11th seed in the East. They were really on the outskirts of making the playoffs at season's pause. And then they went ahead and got swept in the first round of the playoffs. So I guess their consolation prize is getting the first pick. And it appears that the consensus top pick in the draft, Alexis Lafreniere, is headed to the Big Apple. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. This past week, the MLB tightened up their COVID protocols by mandating that all players and staff wear face coverings at all times, including in the dugouts and the bullpens. And the only exception is the players on the field do not have to wear one unless they choose to. And this comes after the MLB has experienced an outbreak of positive tests among several different organizations. Now, the St. Louis Cardinals were the latest victim of the outbreak, and they recorded several more positive tests this past weekend, which forced the postponement of their entire weekend series against the Chicago Cubs. 
Now, the Miami Marlins and the Philadelphia Phillies seem to have gotten their COVID outbreaks under control, but the same cannot be said for the Cardinals. And hopefully this new protocol the MLB implemented helps keep the virus under control because the MLB has already had a ton of postponed games that they're going to need to make up later on in the season. But another piece of news out of Major League Baseball deals with the Houston Astros and the Oakland A's. The two teams played a series this past weekend, and in one game, there was a benches-clearing brawl. And Oakland A's outfielder Ramon Laureano was hit by a pitch twice in the same game. And boy, did he take exception to the second one. Uh, He had some choice words for the Astros bench, including Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron. And there was a report that surfaced the other day after the incident that Cintron had made a vile comment about Loriano's mother, which prompted Loriano's reaction. And now Cintron has since denied the claim, but the replay clearly shows that Loriano took exception to whatever Cintron said. In fact, Loriano actually ran after Cintron instead of Astros pitcher Humberto Castellanos, who threw the pitch that hit him. But either way, uh, we can expect to see multiple game suspensions arising out of this. Now, a quick final note back in NCAA football. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee announced this past week that it's going to release its final playoff ranking the week of December 20th instead of the original scheduled date of December 6th. And this move was in reaction to the Power 5 conferences pushing back all of their start dates to late September and having their conference championship games on either the 6th or the 13th of December. Uh, They all have those built-in bye weeks for games that need to be made up uh, that might be postponed during the season. So... The College Football Playoff Committee is not going to release their final rankings until all of those championship games are complete. So they uh, picked December 20th as the date in which they would release that ranking. But uh, that's going to wrap up the eighth episode of Sports Island. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I know it was kind of a brief episode, like I said, since I was uh, gone most of the weekend. But... um, if you, if you enjoyed it, you know, tell your friends about it, share it, um, rate, review, subscribe. It's available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify. Um, Sports Island is also on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. And if there's anything specific you want to talk about, just drop me a message on there and we'll get into it here on the podcast. But I uh, hope you all have a good week. Stay safe. Be well. And we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.